Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Uh, my name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts of this weekly radio program. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, Cops Bureau Commander. Today morning. is morning. Today is Friday, June 4th, 2021. Uh, and we've got some interesting topics to talk about this morning, but let's start with a check of the weather, and then we will uh, talk about some local news items, and then uh, we'll get started with the show. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, mostly cloudy with a chance of thunderstorms, a chance of showers, mainly this morning. Highs in the mid-70s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 40%. Tonight, partly cloudy. Patchy fog after midnight. Lows in the upper 50s. Southwest wind around 5 miles per hour. Saturday, mostly sunny. Hot with highs in the mid-80s. Southwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Again, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Um, summer's here, Lieutenant. Yeah, hot. It's, it's been I like, I like to hear that. Hot in the humid. forecast. It's been a uh, it's been a long, long winter uh, with a whole bunch of different factors. But summer's here. The reopening plan is underway. Uh, I got to train in the dojo last night for the first time in. 15 months with no masks and social distancing protocols it was amazing it was it was almost like olden times it was pretty cool makes you appreciate it absolutely <laughs> let's talk about a couple news items real quick and then uh we'll get into some current events and contemporary topics um <clears throat> one of the headlines from t this morning's berkshire eagle u.s traffic deaths up seven percent from last year and uh you know Traffic is, is one of the things that we get the most inquiries and complaints about. Um, but, you know, this it, it, this is a story that can't, it can't be ignored because U.S. traffic deaths had been on the decline for a long time prior to last year. And there were so many fewer cars on the road last year because of the pandemic. So this isn't a result of, <clears throat> of congestion or bad engineering. There's really only one explanation for this. This is purely a result of poor decision-making. And uh, I think it was, yeah, it was NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration that released these numbers and they really attribute it to um, three things, right? Increase in risky behavior driving, speeding, reckless driving, you know, getting onto the comparatively empty highways and taking advantage of that and uh, not having the skill, you know, out, out driving your ability. Um, a marked decrease in use of seatbelts, right? So, you know, I've got this darn mask on and I'm already doing all these other protective measures. To heck with it. I won't do this one. And a, uh, an increase in people deciding to drive under the influence. Um, <clears throat> we know one of the weird things that came out of the pandemic was increases in, in substance use and abuse. Um, you know, that home alcohol delivery and, you know, took advantage of that. But, um, you know, having more time off, deciding to indulge yourself more and drive, <clears throat> just horrible. Not good. So, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what the takeaway from that is, right? There's fewer people on the road. There's fewer people um, out and about. And yet more people were engaged in more risky behaviors and, uh, you know, higher percentage of people died. That's, there's got to be a, a takeaway or a lesson there. Um, we talk about it when the traffic officers come in. Driving is a is a risky endeavor, and it requires your full ability and your full attention. Um, you know, hopefully we can learn something from that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, another 
weird news item. You've been following this story out of West Stockbridge, Lieutenant, about the access to no. Trucks Orient Express. No. I just, you know, West Stockbridge is a beautiful little town. I, I don't have... I don't have a position in this, but essentially what happened is, and I think it was, um, I'll read the headline, talk still ongoing for now, two business owners trying to resolve dispute caused by municipal negligence. Uh, but essentially what happened is the town of West Oakridge 20 years ago, I believe, decided to shut vehicle access to a bridge and turn it into a pedestrian-only bridge um, for maintenance reasons. You know, we've we talked about this in the past. The Commonwealth has a lot of trouble with our bridge infrastructure. We've got several bridges in the city right now that are either, you know, reduced to one lane or, or completely out. Uh, and it's it's been an ongoing problem. <clears throat> but as a result of that decision, uh, the only access to Trucks Orient Express, a longtime restaurant, is uh, is via a private right of way. Uh, um, you know, and, and the, the town doesn't have an easement. And now the owner of that private right-of-way, in order to protect their business, that's a small performing arts venue called the Foundry, on Friday and Saturday nights they want to close the right-of-way so they can seat patrons there, so they can take more advantage of their outdoor space. They own the property. But if they do that, there is no access to the restaurant. Um, and apparently, you know, in a, in a, I'm not familiar with all the details, but apparently in an earlier select board meeting, it, they basically were just like, yeah, go ahead, you know, shut it down. But they didn't talk to the restaurant owner. Um, and they're getting ready to, to try to reopen for takeout and eventually get back to the regular reopening. The, you know, shoulders, the, the tourist season is getting ready to open. Um, it's a popular South County destination. People can't get to them. Uh, and so there's a lot of, a lot of hard feelings. Um, I understand that. Uh, hopefully they can mediate it. And um, come to some resolution. It's, it's just, it's, it's just bad all around. Yeah, sounds right. it. Third story, feel good story. Uh, I, I was pleased to see this. Uh, the residents of the town of Florida, a couple of, um, a couple of, you know, positive-minded residents, including um, some people associated with the fire department, they uh, they managed a surprise thank you dinner. For the Florida Volunteer Fire Department, um, you know, and they don't get into a lot of details, but essentially they managed to convince the members of the fire department that they were being called in the headquarters for a regular volunteer fire department meeting. And when they got there, uh, the community was waiting for them with a spaghetti and meatball dinner um, to thank them for their involvement in in the North County Fire. And again, you know, I we talked about it when the fire was before the fire was contained, and. I, I don't think that most people take enough time to appreciate this. In the city of Pittsfield, we're blessed. We have full-time professional firefighters, and our fire department is amazing. Uh, and you know, I'm fortunate to, to work uh, with their command staff and alongside their command staff. Our officers are fortunate to work with their engine companies. Um, they're there for us all the time, right? But in the rest of the county and the surrounding communities, the fire departments are on call. They're volunteers. And while there may be some, you know, I think Lennox has a, a handful of paid professional firefighters who kind of maintain presence in the station. When their sirens go off or their pagers go off, everybody else is stopping what their regular lives is and going, right? And so that fire wasn't contained for more than a week. That means those people couldn't go to work. They had to stop their regular lives, stop whatever their day job is, stop going home to their family, stop interacting with their children, to fight that fire, um, and that that can't be over appreciated. So, to all the volunteer and on-call firefighters here in Berkshire County and beyond, thank you for what you do. Um, and we haven't really discussed it on this program. We've talked about it in other interviews. There is a serious lack of volunteers for fire departments um, nationwide, and and there's a lack of volunteers here. The company. The fire companies are much smaller now than they have been historically. So if you've got an interest in serving and you can find some time, contact your local volunteer fire department and find out what you have to do to do that. All right, so that was a feel-good story, and now we're going to um, go to a less feel-good story. Um, in breaking news, uh, we I'm trying to find my... Uh, I don't have the right story here. Um, so last night, 
in the city of Pittsfield, um, we had another shooting incident. Uh, this time it was in again in the, the city's west side. Um, and, you know, we've been talking for a long time about the increase in the proliferation of gun violence in the city and our, um, you know, gun violence reduction strategies and what we're trying to do to take illegal guns off the street and um, our, our work with the state police and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives. It, you know, it's serious. We've got a lot of crime guns in the city. Um, they're being used indiscriminately. And we talk about it, but, um, you know, it's investigating gun crime, going after bad actors who have illegal crime guns. That's our job. And sometimes we can we can be almost um, unemotional about it. I can't be unemotional about this story. Right? I woke up to the shot spotter activation and the secure notification from the supervisors. Detectives, you know, I'm reading it this morning. Detectives were en route when it was sent last night. Um, you know, and I'm a little perturbed, and I'm trying to keep my emotion in check. But uh, the reason I'm so spun up about this this morning is. The unknown actors, you know, we're, we're going to find them, but unknown actors pulled up behind a car last night um, just after 11 p.m., and they fired rounds into an occupied vehicle, and the vehicle was occupied by a mother and two young children. Now, it's very early in the investigation. Um, we've had, you know, some cooperation. Detectives are, are hitting it actively this morning. Um, we're in the process of preparing a media release with a little bit of detail and an, uh, an appeal for help, but... You know, I, I don't know who the bad guys are yet. I don't know what their beef was, what their perceived grievance was, but I do know two things. One, it wasn't with those two young children. Right? Whatever they thought they were going to accomplish, it didn't have anything to do with those two kids. And those two kids do not deserve to have been traumatized by having been through this. But the other thing I know, and I've said this here, and I've said it in the community for years, right now somewhere in the city of Pittsfield is someone who knew before those shots were fired that those one or more unidentified bad actors were leaving their home armed with a firearm with the intention of shooting if not shooting someone shooting at someone somebody knew that they had a gun or guns and they intended to use them and that somebody or somebody's could have prevented this and they didn't and that means that they're okay with these two children being shot at and I'm not okay with that I have appealed in the past and I'm going to spend some time today and this weekend appealing to our community partners again we know somebody in the community knows who these shooters are we have to stop this we have to take these guns off the street. You know, at this point in time, I don't even care if we make the case. I don't care if you put it in a garbage can and tell us where it is and we'll come get it. But we have to get these guns off the street. I was at a conference last week. Um, ATF was there. They gave us a briefing. They had um, I talked about it a little bit when I remoted in. They had e-traced and Nibins traced some crime guns we turned in. You know, it, these are these are not people who are obtaining guns legally or you know beginning local houses and, and and finding the guns that they can find here. They're importing these guns, right? The vast majority of our crime guns are coming from Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia. They are importing these guns into our city with the intention of engaging in indiscriminate gunfire. It has to stop. We have to take these guns off the street. If you know someone in the community who is making a habit of arming themselves on a regular basis to go out there and engage in indiscriminate gunfire, you have to help us get the gun from them. It, it has to stop. Um, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> so this was uh, a... You know, we talked last week, I think, on the show about the, the situation you referred to or, or last week where we did get a couple of guns off the street. And, um, you know, at some point somebody said something and, and those guns were, you know, eventually located. Um, so that was, you know, 
a situation, although it's unfortunate they're out there, um, luckily they were located before, you know, everybody, anybody was, was injured or <coughs> something, you know, a, a close call like we had last night. Um, and that's, you know, that's, <coughs> that's a more preferred outcome. So I, I guess I'll mirror what you said there, Chief, and, you know, if there is anybody that has information about, you know, this incident, um, this was a close call, um, too close for comfort for the community and certainly too close for comfort for those, you know, that mother and, and that family. So, um, you know, if you, you know. if you know something, if you see something, say something. You can call the tip line. You can use Citizen Observer Tip 411, send an anonymous tip. You can call the Detective Bureau. Um, you know, we'll take any information. But, you know, the, the neighborhoods where this is happening, they deserve, the, the residents of the neighborhoods where this is happening deserve to feel safe. And we can only do so much to help them feel safe because as we've said in the past, investigation is dependent on information. And if we're not receiving information, we can't make the cases and go get the guns. We can't read people's minds. We can't see through their, their, their shirts and jackets. We don't know they have the gun until they pull the gun. And then it's too late. Somebody else knows they have the gun. So let's just go get the guns before the shots are fired. Um, we have to come up with a, an, a plan later today on how we're going to communicate this through some of our community partners. Um, so stand by. More to come on that. Um, where were we going from there? I kind of lost my train of thought, as you know, can see. I'm, I'm a little worked up. You brought up that up as a news item. Oh, yeah, I brought that up as a news <laughs> item. So let's let's segue from there. And we'll talk about, you know, gun crime in general. So we talked a little bit. We'll link this into a national news story. We talked a little bit when I was at MMCC, Mass Major City Chiefs, about the case from the previous week. Right. So we took two more illegal guns off the street the previous week. Uh, and that call generated as a suspicious activity call um, generated a little bit of a foot pursuit two parties were arrested uh, their names are being withheld because they're juveniles um, but during the investigation of the foot pursuit officers backtracked the the path of the pursuit and discovered two loaded firearms now I want to emphasize two things the names are being withheld because the suspects are juveniles and we recovered two loaded firearms so two the ki you know, kids had guns right that's that's the, the bottom line of that story. And, okay, it's no big deal. Kids had guns. They didn't shoot anybody. Nobody got hurt. They're kids. Well, if you, before we came on the air, we were talking about it, Lieutenant. If you follow the story out of Florida this week, two children, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old, um, escaped, from, escaped from a residential facility, broke into a house, discovered firearms while they were in the house, lay in wait, and engaged in a gunfight with sheriff's deputies. A 12-year-old and a 14-year-old decided to shoot it out with the police. And as a result, um, the, one of the two, I believe it was the 14-year-old girl, unfortunately was shot. Uh, she survived, thank God. <clears throat> but, it, it, again, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old engaged in a protracted gunfight. It, something's off the rails. <laughs> So, so this is something that, you know, we had talked about, um, like you said, briefly before the show, it's, it's the proliferation of this, this violence, you know, and, and, and it goes back to, you know, a lot of things, but one of the, the major factors is, you know, the violent video games and that, um, kids, you know, in many cases, young kids are being subjected to and desensitized um, by the violence in the video games and it, it it's not too hard to take that leap to for that to become real um, and that goes back to a study um, by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman um, who was I believe living in the Jonesboro Arkansas area and responded to the shooting there Prior to that shooting um, you know, we're going back you know, 15 more years or so more is it, is it further but you know this this 
has been obviously a um, societal issue. It's been um, it, getting more and more um, attention. Um, so it, just just think about and, those video games. And well, let's let to be clear: the the link to video games is controversial, right? The the, the neuroscientific evidence that was supported during that study was compelling, but there's also compelling counter evidence that, you know, we're not saying that playing video games causes violence. That's not it. Uh, there are plenty of gamers out there who play games all the time and have never engaged in, um, in violent behavior. It's, it's more broad than that. It's societal acceptance of continuous exposure to violence. So it could be video games, it could be music lyrics, it could be uh, movies, it could be television shows, it, it, it could be a wide variety of, it could be living in a home where you're constantly exposed to violence. But it's these repeated traumatic aces um, that lead to an acceptance of violence, right? And when somebody accepts violence as the norm, then there isn't any incentive for them not to also engage in violence. <clears throat> and so, you know, I think when I was a, when I was a patrol officer, I was working gang intelligence. We used to talk about this. And, you know, I wasn't, when I was a kid, I wasn't a fighter. I was, I was a, a chubby little kid. I was kind of a geek, right? Um, but, you know, guys, guys would get into an argument on the playground, and it was a shoving match, Right. You'd push each other, you'd posture a little bit, somebody would get pushed to the ground. If people stayed around after school and there was a fist fight, that was a big deal. So, you know, 70s, 80s, that was it. When I came on the job <clears throat> and we were, I was working the gang intelligence unit, it was box cutters and, and other edge weapons. We'd see a lot of stabbings and we'd see a lot of slashings. Um, well, you know, for, for the last 10 plus years, it's guns. You know, what what used to be a shoving match is now a broad daylight exchange of gunfire. It we're just we're going in a completely wrong direction. Um and and yes, right, you know, I'm a police officer, I'm a police officer. In our ideal world, we would make the cases. You know, we'd make the arrest, we'd bring the people to court, we'd bring them before the bar of justice. What I'm saying is, at this point in time, I just want to take the guns off the street. Um so We'll talk about that more. But we've been going on for quite a while this morning, Lieutenant. Are we still on news? <laughs> <laughs> we, we never segued out of news. So, uh, pardon me for a second. <clears throat> we have a bit of time before our first uh, station break, so let's um, let's do this. We'll, sh we'll switch gears here because I need to take a deep breath. <sighs> And uh, we'll spend the next couple of minutes before we go to station identification. Um, for our viewers and listeners, uh, many of you watch this on PCTV. And if you're regular viewers of PCTV, then you may have been tuning in for the last couple of weeks. The city has been involved in the budget process. Uh, the department's budget hearing was Tuesday night. The capital budget process was Wednesday night. I, was, I participated in both of those hearings. Um, the final approval of the entire budget will be next Tuesday night. We'll be back there for that. Um, this was a controversial year for the police department budget, uh, as was last year. Um, the hearings, the hearings were not pleasant in in a couple of regards. Um, it was, this one wasn't as bad as last year, but it was bad. There was a lot of um, community interest in this, uh, but there was also a lot of um, Mis misinformation so big big thing petition out there um, asking that the the city council not approve an appropriation for uh, depending on which version you were reading either 55 million dollars for the new police station or five million dollars for the engineering and design portion of the new police station and to be clear neither one of those asks were actually contained within the budget so um you know, we weren't going to city council asking for millions of dollars for the new police station this year. Um, you know, well, let me try to explain what happened. So the city and the department have an operating budget. That's the annual budget that we go and request every year. That's our salaries and our overtime and our equipment. 
uh, you know, office supplies, all that other stuff. You can go look at the budget book and, and see the line by line breakdown. Um, our, our budget ask is, is, you know, it's over $11 million. It's mostly personnel. And so that, that was where we focused our attention. Um, there was some reductions in the budget largely because, uh, I and my finance staff made a mathematical error. We reduced a head count, but didn't reduce the corresponding uh, column. So there was about $190,000 error that we, we caught before the hearing. And, uh, I pointed out in response to a question during the hearing and that, that was cut. And then a, um, related contractual allowances line item was cut by the proportionate amount. But other than that, uh, you know, what my staff and I developed and put together was a, was preliminarily approved. And so hopefully Tuesday will be fully approved. That's the operating budget. That's the day-to-day expenses. The other portion of the budget that is put together is the capital budget. The capital budget is a, is a request or the capital budget proposal is a request for authorization to borrow money. Um, that's the budget where you get street repair money, resurfacing money, uh, large trucks for DPS, uh, or um, public works or public services, um, highway, fire trucks, right? B- big purchases. And generally, by and large, purchases that have a working life or, you know, um, depreciation life of more than five years and can be borrowed for, they go in the capital budget. And so our capital budget requests, by and large, our 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 main our special purpose vehicles vehicles that are not going to be on the front line that will last more than five years um, our front line vehicles usually last about three uh, and also included in there we have a maintenance replacement plan for our desktop computers within the station our mobile data terminals within the cruisers and our radio system and so those those are the regular asks occasionally um, depending on where we are in the cycle we'll slide something else in there like um ballistic vests but over the last couple of years we've, we've tried to put that in a um in a different area of the budget in addition to the two budget processes which you know we've been doing that for as long as i've been a city employee uh, under the current administration there's there's also a third process that uh, goes along with it and that third process is the capital improvement plan the capital improvement plan is not something that we've done for my entire tenure. It was it was put in place by this administration. Director Kerwood administers that. And essentially, it's a five-year plan for him to be able to predict, the mayor to be able to predict, what we might be interested in borrowing for going forward. And so, in addition to the what I ask to borrow, ask permission for them to borrow for this year, I'm supposed to tell them, and I think for the next five years, we might need to do this. So I'll give you an example. A few years ago, um, we decided that we needed to do a, a wholesale swap and, and replace in mass all of the department sidearms. They are, the in-service sidearms were getting old. They were reaching um, potential end of life. We didn't want to incur any malfunctions. We have the ability through the armorers to update them and make repairs, but at some point that becomes cost prohibitive, we decided we would swap them all out. Trade in the old ones, buy new ones. That's a big purchase. Not going to put that in the annual budget. And the service life of a sidearm is definitely more than five years with proper maintenance, which we focus on and get, you know, 10-year life out of that. Except for the guys and gals from the special response team. They shoot more frequently, so they, they may be a little bit less. So we put it in the plan that we were going to ask for that money a year out and then we asked for that money we got it and we we did that so i know that i don't have to put that back in the capital improvement plan for two more five-year cycles right it'll show up again you know basically 10 years out from there uh and the capital improvement plan pushes things out every year so as long as we've been doing the capital improvement plan i have had the new station in the capital improvement plan usually in the current ask I put the engineering design money, in this case, $5 million years, or $5 million. And then three years after that, <clears throat> I put the construction money. And it has gone from, you know, total of a 40, $44 million project to a $55 million project over the course of the last six years. Um, up until this year, every time we sat down and worked on that plan, I was told, push it out a year. Put that in your next year's plan and push the construction three years out. So it was always in year two and year four, five of the plan. Year, year two, yeah, in year five of the plan. 
<clears throat> this year after uh, the decision that the mayor made um, pretty much in January that she wanted to communicate the, the prioritization that the need for you know, the city for the next big construction plan or project was going to be the new station. The decision was made to leave it where I put it, put it in the first year of the plan and the fourth year of the plan. But it never went into the budget. Nobody ever intended to ask for that this year. Um, and so there was a lot of controversy and, and a lot of debate and a lot of people coming out saying, don't do it, you know, don't approve it. Um, and I get it. We heard it. But it, it was never going to be asked for this year anyway. Um, you know, we ask for it next year. Well, well that's, that's going to be a political conversation. So we'll see. So that's the status of the budget. Final budget uh, proposal is Tuesday night, city council meeting. Um, so keep our fingers crossed and let's hope all of our city department budgets pass. It is 931 here on uh, Friday, June 4th, 2021. You're listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Let's get another check of the weather and some station identification and PSAs, and then we'll come back and we will switch gears again. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, mostly cloudy with a chance of thunderstorms. A chance of showers, mainly this morning. Highs in the mid-70s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain 40%. Tonight, partly cloudy. Patchy fog after midnight. Lows in the upper 50s. Southwest wind around 5 miles per hour. Saturday, mostly sunny. Hot with highs in the mid-80s. Southwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College, offering the chance to get some college credits this summer with small class sizes and courses running for only six weeks. Summer classes begin June 1st. For more information, berkshirecc.edu slash summer. That's berkshirecc.edu slash summer. Missed an episode of your favorite show? Have no fear because we have podcasts. Type in wtbrfm.com forward slash podcast on your favorite browser and search for your favorite show. It's that simple. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM. Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Lieutenant, are we out of PSAs? Well, um, we have the test PSA queued up, which is Got it. no longer uh, um, applicable. I do still have the uh, Derby's Theft PSA. Um, I think everybody could probably recite that <laughs> at this point. Maybe we need to. Uh, we, that's been on our to-do list. Yeah, maybe we need to get back out here and schedule some new PSAs. Yeah. My my phone just started vibrating. That's odd timing. <laughs> Are you getting secure comms as we speak? I think my my phone is elsewhere. At the at this point, it's this is not a uh, <laughs> it's it's not a PD related text. It's a uh, you know what I'm. <laughs> I just, Did you just get reminded of something about the show? No, but <laughs> but I I do I do want to share a topic that that prompted me. Uh, I, it wasn't on my mind to talk about this morning, but it's 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 timely. Um, so it, we're in we're in the reopening phase. I think everybody is relieved to kind of have gotten to this point. Everybody's very hopeful. You know, we got warm, sunny, long days ahead of us. Uh, but I, I realized over the last week, week plus, 
it, there's a lot of catching up to do. A lot of catching up to do. So things that were top of mind priorities at the end of 2019 that probably should have been looked at and addressed in the beginning of 2020, they all got pushed off. Either couldn't accomplish them. I'll give you an example, right? So we had just started a, um, an in-house citywide leadership academy. I think we had one class under our belts when we shut down for the pandemic. And I spent, more, my staff and I spent more than a year trying to figure out how to reconvene that um, that cohort group, that class, virtually. And we just couldn't do it. Um, we had figured out a way to do it. We thought we were going to be able to move everything to citywide SharePoint. And that was when the uh, vulnerability with Outlook was discovered. And so IT shut down all external access to SharePoint. You could only access it if you were on the server or via Parallels. So there wasn't any way for me to get our students in if they weren't at work. Right? So <clears throat> we struggled with that. But one of the things that came up, pardon me again, <coughs> allergy season. One of the things that came up is late in 2019, um, is actually part of it was 2018 and then formally in 2019, um, Governor Baker signed an executive order and as a result of this particular executive order sent out direction to all the police departments and one of the 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 what he was doing is he was notifying us that he was reestablishing the governor's hate crimes task force and he was also directing that every police department in the commonwealth designate a civil rights officer and the civil rights officer would be responsible for liaising with the community and also for making sure that required reporting to the Commonwealth regarding reported hate crimes was going on. But the executive order included a training requirement that civil rights officers, CROs, receive specialized training to, to be the, the certified civil rights officer. So I'd spent a lot of time prior to, you know, even prior to becoming the chief, working at the academy, specifically focusing on bias-related crimes and hate crimes, hate crime investigation, hate crime indicators. Um, so I had some knowledge, and I made the decision when that executive order came out that based on that background, I'd maintain that role. I'd, I'd keep that role until we kind of got a handle on what it was going to mean and what we might be looking for case-wise. Um, but despite my years of experience, I wasn't certified. You need to go attend the class. And so Municipal Police Training Committee didn't have a class in place yet. And so some of our vendors that we normally work with, policy development vendors and stuff, they stepped up and they started doing the class. And I think I signed up to take that class three times last year. And, you know, life happened. The pandemic happened. Everything that was, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't make whatever the local requirements that we were trying to deal with local activities make attendance with the class and so i signed up for it again and it was yesterday so I get through the you know tuesday night wednesday night budget hearings thursday i'm in the office I'm like okay the schedule's pretty good i blocked out the time i can take the class so i'm taking the class uh it was a good class instructor was really good uh, retired chief john moore uh, the content was really good uh, even though i had a lot of experience at it i learned a lot uh and so i'm like okay got that done civil rights officer well, we were sitting in the class, patrol brought an arrest in, and that's this is what the text was related to. Um, and so you know, the point of being a civil, certified civil rights officer is to recognize you know, when a bias-related crime occurs. And one of the things I had learned early in my uh, instruction when I was being instructed in bias crimes is you know, anybody can be a victim of a bias crime, anybody, uh, including a police officer. And so the weird circumstances yesterday was that the suspect, he's not known to us, defendant, uh, he's from down south, he's up here for reasons unknown and he wouldn't explain. Um, I'm not going to get into the behavior he was engaged in because we just arrested him, he's going to be uh, arraigned this morning. Um, he had, the, you know, the officer that was sent was Officer Jumo, who we've interviewed and spoken about a lot, and this defendant's response to officer Ju jumo was horrific and during the course of um of the attempted or well, the successful arrest uh he um not only resisted arrest but he uh, you know committed assault and battery directed at officer jumo and he just 
showered him with racial epithets. So we charged him with a hate crime. So while I was in the class, going through the process of charging people with hate crimes, patrol was downstairs charging a subject with a hate crime. So uh, I'm all up to speed on how to make sure that that gets properly reported to the Commonwealth. So when we get off the show today, I'll go read the reports from that and uh, we'll move on. Um, so the civil rights officer role will continue. We'll probably, we'll probably send some more people to this training. It's a lot. It's comprehensive, but there's good information. So, All right. That was a diversion, a dive down the rabbit hole. So the other thing that we said yesterday that we would talk about um, in addition to you know, being very tied up with budget stuff this week, uh, I've also spent quite a bit of time, um, almost, well, so far, a short week, but... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, at some point in time, usually early morning on each of those days. I've also been um, engaged in some work on behalf of the Post Commission. And so that's that's been a lot. Um, we'll talk about the Post Commission very briefly and then I'll, I'll segue. So Thursday morning, we had a regularly scheduled public Post Commission meeting. It was held virtually, of course. Um, I attended the meeting from the front seat of my cruiser. Uh, and at the time I attended the meeting from the front seat of my cruiser, I was parked in the, uh, that used to be a AMP price chopper. What supermarket was that in Lee where we staged? That was, um, yeah, it was price chopper. Price chopper. Yeah. I was backed into the uh, old price chopper parking lot in Lee in the staging area for chief Jeffrey Russo's funeral, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. Um, so I attended the post commission meeting had, We'd had a meeting to prepare for that on Tuesday. We had a follow-up meeting on Thursday. Um, I think I talked about it a little bit from the Cape. Um, the, the first set of guidance that we're responsible for putting forward, and it's by the end of this month, is guidance regarding alternatives to use of force, um, alternatives to use of force for children. Uh, the, my fellow commissioners and I, they're on this working group, um, made our homework. We had our work cut out for us. Uh, the, if you've if you've been involved in the uh, area of, of juvenile law, juvenile justice, you know that in the Commonwealth, this is confusing depending on what segment of the law you're looking at, which side of the court process you're looking at. Um, children can be defined as 16, 17, 18, 21. Uh, if you look at it from the cognitive development side, uh, it could be as much as 24. So, you know, really, we had first we had to agree on a definition of children. Um, and we had to, you know, kind of look at and examine the current teachings around use of force. Um, we also found that there was no common definition of de-escalation, so we kind of had to make some recommendations and agree on that. Uh, we're in a pretty good place. I think we're, you know, we're in a good place to have this document ready to deliver to our fellow commissioners, and we'll make the deadline of the end of the month. And then we'll switch gears. So uh, in addition to that first set of guidelines, the other big things going on in the post commission is we need to by the end of the month have in place the executive director those application materials are coming in and the general counsel uh, and then the third key position uh, that's been identified is the director of information technology specifically for the post commission because the other very heavy lift within the um, police reform legislation is the establishment of the public facing databases and so um we really need somebody who's got an expert level you know knowledge in database integration because we're gonna be we're gonna have to pull in information from all 330 some odd police departments the municipal police training committee and other uh commonwealth agencies and get it into one place where it can be integrated and refined um so the first set of guidelines is key and then the key staff is right behind that. And then we'll be in a position to, um, you know, start doing some of the more serious work. So, all right. A lot going on, like you said. There's a lot going on. Lieutenant, you and I would be remiss if we did not talk about um, the funeral of our teammate and brother and my fellow chief, um, Jeff Russo. Right. And uh, 
you know, <laughs> I, I, I for uh, for my outside of work, just you know, my personal life. I actually was doing some reflection last weekend after I, I found out that Jeff had passed, and um, it, so I was doing a little writing, and you know, I love Jeff. He and I, he and I had a um, interesting relationship, right? So we came up together on the team well, about the same time, and we were team leaders at about the same time. Um, I'm not going to tell the story on the air, but uh, Jeff was definitely my first teammate that when I moved into the command ranks, put me in check and reminded me to stay humble. Uh, he recognized that. You know, although I may have put on lieutenant bars, that wasn't going to change our relationship. And, uh, you know, so when Jeff was selected to become the chief in Lee, which was a great pick, uh, but I was I was a little surprised, not because he, he wasn't deserving and not because he wasn't qualified, but because for the most part, Jeff didn't like bosses, <laughs> right? Um, Jeff Jeff was always the first one to be critical. If um, you know, if you're in the command post on an operation and you've been there for a while, sometimes there's a tendency that creeps into the command post, particularly if uh, admin commanders are there, to just hurry up and get it done, right? We've been here a long time. A lot of resources and assets. Let's just let's just do it, and <clears throat> that is never the right decision, right? If you got to go, you go because it's the operationally sound decision, not because you've been there too long and it's getting expensive. Uh, and Jeff was always the first one who would like you know throw up the flag and say, we're not going until it's operationally sound to go. Um, he's a great operator, he's a great instructor, uh, but you know. JP did a great job in his remarks because he was he was so much more than just a cop, right? He's a great husband, a great father. He's a coach, um, hunter, sportsman. Uh, before he got sick, he was a talented runner. Um, just a great, great all around guy. So I'll I'll tell two quick stories. Um, the first being when I first met Jeff. So he came on when the regional team was, re well, the team was regionalized. Um, the team had originally um, been a exclusively Pittsfield team, and then with uh, some federal dollars, it, it was regionalized. And, um, and so uh, operators from other departments throughout the county were brought on, and and that was kind of the birth of the regional. And, and that, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Chief, Jeff was one of the, the first from that group. And so that was 2000. I came on later, 2001, and I had an injury, and um, I was out for several months. And then 2002 came back on and, um, you know, started my, my probationary training. And I don't remember meeting Jeff when I, you know, my brief stint in 2001. Um, but in 2002, you know, I came to a training and there's this guy with this blonde mullet, um, <laughs> you know, just yip yapping, you know, talking, talking, talking. I'm thinking, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite, I guess. I, you know, I, I'm a little bit more introverted jeff was he's you know he he just says what he's thinking <laughs> and i'm no thinking to my filter i'm thinking to myself who is this guy that will not stop talking um so that was that was my first kind of introduction to jeff um you know years go by we uh you know became close you know we're, we worked together a lot we got along great um you know, yeah, we were we were different people, but aren't, so aren't we all? Um, and and it worked. Um, in fact, we for a while we were kind of a a tag team duo. I, I for a long time I was the primary breacher, and and he always was at point. So so we worked together, you know, on a lot of operations, and 
you know, everything that has been said, um, you know, publicly and privately and what a great cop Jeff was um, and that he wasn't just another cop is absolutely true. Um, but, uh, you know, another quick thing just to kind of demonstrate the, um, you know, his um, mission awareness and his, his dedication to a witness. We were at a, a house in Pittsfield. I don't remember, particularly remember the incident and why we were there, um, but it was in an apartment building, and Jeff, um, you know, we had, patrol had surrounded the, the bill, had a, a perimeter on the building, and it was the middle of the night, and uh, the team ended up bringing up the <coughs> armored vehicle outside the building, and operators, a little at a time, got to the point where we were able to insert operators in the building on a stairway outside the apartment. And, um, you know, we were trying to make contact, and this was before we had some equipment and, and tactics that probably would have moved it along a little bit quicker now. Um, but in any event, we had, you know, what we call an inner perimeter, and it was tight on the apartment. It was in the building, and Jeff was sitting on the stairs. And we were rotating operators out as we normally do, just to keep them fresh. And Jeff would not leave the stairs. I'm like, Jeff, swap out, take a break. No, I'm not missing anything. You know, he he just he <coughs> he he, and it's he wanted to be the one that was there if something happened, not not out of selfishness, but because he was the team leader and he he felt the responsibility to to be there when when contact was made um so that he could be sure it was you know handled the way that he thought it should be handled which you know most of the time was spot on <clears throat> so similar to you I, I i was never the um breacher but before jeff and i became team leaders um essentially we we were one and two in the stack right for a long time i ran point and he was right on my shoulder and then occasionally as I was moving into a team, transitioning to a team leader position, he would run point and I would be on his shoulder. Um, and, you know, it, it, for operators, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but for our viewers and listeners who don't, if, if your position is number one and two in the stack, you basically have to be able to read your partner's body language and anticipate their movement before they make it. Like you, you got to be able to read the set of their shoulders and the set of their head and know where they're going to go because that determines where you're going to go. Um, and, you know, Jeff, Jeff and I would, would flood a room, you know, on an interior, on an interior um, move, we would flood a room and, and be in those opposite corners, dig those hard corners just seamlessly. Uh, and then when we transitioned to team leader roles, it, it allowed one of us to step back to the, you know, command post of the talk, knowing that the other one was going to be in there. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure you remember, I don't even know which actual street we were on. You remember the, the um, second story apartment with the exterior stairs where we actually had to initiate the bang out? I'm pretty sure that that was Jeff's read. And uh, it, I know with 100% confidence, if it was me, it was any other operator um, that that bang would have been in the target, and Jeff read that the door the door went with the breach. Jeff read that threshold, and he immediately called for the bang out. And so, you know, what I'm describing is if your plan includes that you're going to initiate a, a flashbang initiated entry, if you see something, you know, uh, blanket combustible pet and it's it's where the bang would normally go you don't want to put it in there you have to read that and then we do what's called a bang out and the bang out requires that the the person who has it either physically carry it out but it's unpinned so you know you, you got to do it quick or you have a spot that you picked on the approach and you just deploy it out there uh, the problem is now it's the team that's exposed and so jeff initiated the bang out from from the landing we were a story up and that thing went off before it hit the ground. Um, it, I'll, I'll never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could just, I'm sure, just sit here and, and think yeah. of, of instances and 
you know, occasions, stories um, where we're, where he was, he made an impact, made a difference. He made an impact and he made a difference everywhere he went. Yep. So, Chief Jeffrey Rusa, Lee PD, team leader, Berkshire County Special Response Team, badge number 23, call sign 923. Um, rest in peace, brother. We got the watch. We will miss you and uh, our thoughts and prayers are out to Jen and the boys as well. And the entire Lee community. And special shout out to Chief Craig DeSantis, who lost his friend and brother and predecessor and then had to step into the breach to plan, you know, having just lost his friend, then had to do the hard work. Yeah. Um, the, so Craig came on the team a little bit later, uh, about the time I did. Um, but they were, you know, the dynamic lead duo. Um you know, completely different personalities. Oh man! And to watch them, to watch them if, debate sometimes. If, <laughs> if Jeff and I had a complicated relationship, Jeff and Craig. Yeah. Well, all right. <clears throat> Let's move on. In you, the few minutes we have left. You, you know what is? It, it, it's it can't be said. You know, we can't talk about this without also acknowledging um, the fact that you know at least from from my perspective. Jeff is the third, like, long-time team member that we've lost in the last, well, uh, Mike Winston, uh, we lost him January of 18, um, so three and a half years, um, and then Doc Deering uh, a few months ago. Um, It's just, uh, it's it's different. I said that when I walked into the station Tuesday. We are far too young to be losing teammates at the rate we're losing them. Yep. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's a it's a tight knit group and that kind of loss is uh, it's just right there. And on a completely separate note, which would be a story for another day, um, Jeff's funeral, and then later that afternoon, while some of our guys were still with the family, call out. <clears throat> yeah, which is also becoming an odd coincidence tradition with the team. <laughs> yep. All right, changing gears, palate cleanser. We have a couple minutes left. Uh, I heard Miss Glockner on the air when we came in, so I guess I don't have to do the all things Pittsfield cultural development stuff this week. They're back on the air in the time slot ahead of us. They're not here. Uh, you know, I was, my first impression was that was a recording, but no. Didn't sound like it. No. They were talking about everything that was coming right back up. I yeah. think they're remoting in. Yeah, they probably they probably recorded it earlier in the week. Maybe. Yeah. So if you don't get the uh, city of Pittsfield Office of Cultural Development, Cultural Pittsfield this week newsletter, do that. And then I can stop talking about it because we're reopened and I have, for the most part, kept my commitment to Jen. And now she's back on the air so you can get their updates from them and we'll transition back to what we normally did before the pandemic. So that means we get to talk about our weekends. (laughs) What's <laughs> up for the weekend, Lieutenant? <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. I don't even know where I'm going to start. I, I got so much uh, going on. Just, you know, springtime stuff, family stuff, getting ready for a scout trip this summer, um, you know, baseball season is in full swing, and it's going to be short. So we got some of that going on. I was standing on the deck uh, at the Seacrest last week, talking to one of my colleagues, new chief in Holyoke. And uh, he asked me a question, and I turned and looked at Christina, and I was like, oh, I have a birthday next week. There's been so much going on, and I've been so busy and distracted, I forgot that I had a birthday this week. So uh, it's my birthday weekend, and ironically, coincidentally, uh, I don't have any plans for it. But I was contacted by a family member this week, and uh, my father's aunt, I believe, is going to be 90 or 95 this week, and her birthday is uh, the same week, weekend. So I think we're going to go visit my extended family, who I haven't seen in hmm, probably five years, maybe more, to celebrate Aunt Lois. Nice. So train, and then go celebrate some birthdays. We're out of time. 
You've been listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Tune in next week for another new episode. We're 10-8.